today in our series on Advent. Uh, we, and as we do, we continue to be looking ahead. Our goal is to be figuring out uh, or to be focused in, to be, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it, to be drilling down on this idea of when Jesus will be coming back. Right? That's what we're, that's what we're focusing on here. We know um, and it's great the way we've done Advent in years past. We, we love to look back. We love to celebrate the coming of Jesus. We love to think about Jesus when he came. Um, uh, God incarnate, God in flesh coming, and that's spectacular. And everything that we talk about looking forward is only possible, is only plausible because of what happened then. Okay? But I don't want us to focus solely on what happened then. Remember, we love baby Jesus, but we want to think forward about what's to come. And so last week we talked about that moment, that moment where the title deed to the earth, the scroll, will be handed to Jesus and that he is the only one worthy to take it and open it and begin what's to come. And today we we continue uh, looking at what's to come. And it's all about justice. It's all about right versus wrong, good versus evil. And we love that theme, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you personally, but I love good versus evil. If you're curious about that, all you have to go do is is watch my my recently watched on Netflix. And everything on Netflix and my recently watched, except for Fuller House. It wasn't me, I promise. And I'm embarrassed to know that the new season of Fuller House is coming in just a couple days. Man. Anyway, everything on there is, it's the battle, good versus evil, seeing justice served. I mean, turn on a TV um, and and start flipping channels, and any given time during the day, you're going to find a law and order, a CSI, some kind of NCIS, right? Some kind of show about justice being served. And then you're going to find this whole thing uh, when you get to superhero movies. Oh, Vince, we're still up here. You know who loves superhero stuff? Vince. You ever get a chance to sit down and and you want to know uh, what's in Vince's heart? You can ask him about Jesus and he'll tell you all about Jesus or ask him about Batman. (laughs) And I mean, Jesus is clearly first. Batman is a close second. And we get that. We love the theme of right versus wrong, of good versus evil, of justice being served. And we love that because, frankly, it's what we're waiting for. It's what we're waiting for. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but the reality is that this world is not what it's supposed to be. This world isn't what it's supposed to be. Things go wrong. Life isn't fair. We get shortchanged. Something doesn't happen the way that it's supposed to happen. And, and, and we, we kind of, we feel let down. We feel burnt. We feel hurt. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's something minor. Sometimes it's something huge. But we feel it. We feel that a lot. And so when we start talking about what's to come, we get excited. We focus in on this idea of justice being served because it's what our hearts long for. It's part of what we're waiting for. And we wait for it a lot. But that's why I love Emily's testimony because what we don't typically wait with is peace. 
Because it feels wrong. I mean, if you think about this, it feels wrong. But here's what I need you to know before we, we go too much further. Uh, we're going to jump right in here to John 16, and it says this. I've told you all of this. This is Jesus. Now, this is Jesus towards the end of his ministry. He's telling them how bad it's going to be. He's telling, listen, you think you got it bad. Why don't you read what Jesus has to say in the book of John as he starts laying out how this is going to go. And he's told them how bad it's going to be. And then he says this, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Not peace in your circumstances, not peace um, in your job, not peace in your bank account, not peace in all of these other kinds of places where we like to find peace, but so that you can have peace in me. And then this is the part that really, really stinks. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. This is, John, uh, this is Jesus saying, look, here's the deal. In the world, it's going to go bad. It's going to feel like evil is winning. It's going to feel like justice is overmatched. Any of you ever seen, um, oh, now I'm, I'm struggling with the movie, but it's the Star Wars with Mel Brooks. Come on. Spaceballs. Thank you. I can't believe I just froze right there. Spaceballs. You've seen Spaceballs, right? When, when Dark Helmet, Rick Moranis, classic, um, tells um, Bill Pullman, whoever he is, that, uh, that, that good will always fail against evil because good is stupid. That's what he tells him. It, it, don't worry. Good guys win in Spaceballs and in Star Wars and in every other movie because that's how we're wired. Okay, but that's how we feel. We feel sometimes in this world like good is always going to come second, like evil is always going to win, like something wrong is always going to be on top because everything feels backwards. But Jesus tells us here, yeah, I know it feels that way, but get over it. Have peace in me, not in what it feels like, but have peace in me because I have overcome the world. And that's just the way that it works. And so here's what I need you to know. The thing that we've been waiting for, justice, good to triumph over evil, for evil and wrong to be put in its place, that thing that we've been waiting for, while we have been waiting, the cosmic battle for that has been waged and won. And that's what we're looking ahead to. What we're experiencing now are the final skirmishes of something that has long since been decided. Um, it's a lot like a guy named Hiro Onada, a Japanese soldier at the end of World War II. For those of you that know your World War II history, you know that World War II ended in February of 1945. In December of 1944... Uh, Lieutenant Onada was sent to an island called, I wrote it down because I couldn't remember, um, to the island of Lubang. And he was told when he went to the island of Lubang to not give up, to never surrender, that his commanding officers would be coming back for him. Three months before the war ended. And the war ended and nobody came. And so his small 
um, group of soldiers, uh, when supplies didn't come, they, they retreated in to the jungle and, and they broke into groups. And in his group, there were, there were four that he was in charge of. And, and over the course of, of years, they continued to battle. Eventually, one was shot and killed when they engaged um, a village shot by farmers. Another finally abandoned um, him. Eventually, he was left by himself. Um, it got so bad that, that they would drop leaflets from a plane that would say that the war is over. But since Japan didn't win, he didn't buy it. 1974 is when he finally surrendered. That means that this 23-year-old man went into the jungle and lived 29 years fighting a battle that was over because he couldn't believe that it was over. Guys, we don't want to make that mistake. What we're experiencing now are the final skirmishes of a battle that has long since been decided. And when we get into Revelations today, we're going to see how that has taken place in a couple of different places. Let's jump in here. We're going to start at uh, Revelations 12. And we're going to be looking at uh, this, this whole chapter in 12, but we're going to break it apart. First thing you need to know is there are three main characters, and then we'll look at how the story unfolds. First character is the woman. Here's what it says. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. Okay, now this is John, physically rooted on the island of Patmos. Okay, he's in exile. He's 90-some years old. He's physically rooted on this island, but he's been taken in a vision. Okay, but not just he's like having a dream or something. I mean, he, he is somehow physically rooted here, and yet somehow he's physically present watching this great event in heaven. And all I can say about that is God's cool, because that's pretty awesome. But here's what happened. He says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Okay? So what we have here is we have this woman in this great drama that's unfolding that, that John is witnessing. We have this woman. Uh, and we, Well, who's the woman? Well, here's, the woman is Israel. The woman is Jerusalem. The woman is the Israelites in whole. And so what we have here is we have that the woman is a picture of the Jewish people. And she's clothed with the sun. She is God's chosen people. And remember, she's not chosen because she's awesome. In fact, we read through the Old Testament, we read time and time again how Israel is in fact not awesome. They make all kinds of mistakes. They do all kinds of things wrong. But yet they are still God's chosen people. They were the people that God intended to bless all the nations through. And we'll see how that happens. Here's a clue. It has something to do with the pregnancy. And we see that she's um, got this crown of 12 stars. There are the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the 12 children of Jacob, the 12 tribes. Okay. Again, if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, take a, take a read through um, the end of Genesis and into Exodus, and you'll see how God establishes Israel as his chosen people. 
okay, and what happens there. But this is what's going on. And, and she's pregnant, and she cries out because of her labor pain. She's at the end of her pregnancy. Something is about to happen, and the child is going to be significant. But we have to wait a second as we get into verses 3 and 4. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and with seven crowns on his heads and his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And of course, as we continue to read in this, this grand what's happening in, in, in the heavenly realms, what happened in the past and what's to come, is what we're seeing here is a picture of something that's already happened. John is actually here. We, see, we think of Revelations always as looking ahead. John here is looking backwards. And he's seeing something that's already happened. He's seeing the woman, uh, Jerusalem, and he's seeing her, her get ready to give birth Okay, and, and then he sees this other significant event. It's this dragon, this large red dragon with, with seven heads and seven crowns and ten horns. And there's a lot for us to pick through there. Here's what I'll say. Okay, um, if you're curious about the, the, the ten horns and some of those things, uh, we can at some point in time we can do this together. Or you can ask me about it or you can do it on your own. But read through the second half of the book of Daniel. And it paints this grand picture of what's to come. But we see in the second half of the book of Daniel, we see this future time where um, when, when, when Satan is making war on the earth. Okay, we get this. This is, we'll, we'll look at a chart I have for you later, but it's called the tribulation. This, this time in the future that's called this tribulation where um, Satan uses 10 kingdoms on the earth with 10 leaders that we call them kings, but rulers of those kingdoms that, that basically are lackeys that, that do uh, what Satan bids them to do. But we'll get to that another time. But right now you just get this picture of this, this powerful epitome of evil in the dragon. Evil, evil, evil. And we get this picture that with his massive tail, how powerful he is, he swept down a third of the stars. Good Hebrew tradition tells us that this is, this is what um, is, is referring to is, is the, the angels that chose to follow Satan. Hebrew tradition tells us that a third of the angels fell with Satan that chose to follow him instead of following God. Those are what we would know now as demons. Okay, and we're going to get into some spiritual stuff, and some of you are going to be like, okay, Matt, I'm not sure I, I get this whole Satan demons thing. Okay, here's my, here's my brief primer on this. Every bad thing that happens in the world is not because Satan did it. Okay, I'm driving along, I get a flat tire. It's not Satan's fault I have a flat tire. Okay, I live in a broken world where tires get flat. Okay, people get sick. There are car accidents. People die. Everything that happens in a broken, fallen world is not because Satan is directly influencing it. We live in a broken, fallen world. But Satan is real. Demons are real. They are actively involved in the world, and they have the goal of oppressing. Okay, and we can talk more about that another time, but this is this isn't just some mystical, mythical, oh, there's good in the world, there's evil in the world. No, this is, this is personal. Satan is real. And John is seeing this vision of Satan and this stand he makes against God where a third of the angels come with him 
and he fails. And, and now we get back to the, the child. He's ready to devour the child as soon as it's born. And we get to the child. And she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman then fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. There's a lot happening there. The child here is the Messiah. And Satan is ready to devour the child. Okay, we go back. It says, it says that um, she was about to give birth. He is standing there waiting to devour her baby as soon as it's born. Okay, and then we go, and the woman gives birth to the son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. That's what we read about Jesus. He is to rule. He is to bring justice once and for all. Okay, he comes twice. He came once to provide salvation for all, but he comes again to provide final justice and accountability to abolish evil. That's what he comes for. And Satan wants none of it. And so he's ready and waiting to devour the Messiah. But what happens is the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Here's what I want you to understand is happening there. It is a picture of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's no greater tool for Satan. I mean, can you imagine putting yourself in Satan's... This is a terrible question. Never let me ask that question. And because what are you supposed to say? Yes? Like, can you imagine putting yourself in Satan's shoes? No. My bad. Let's say it this way. Think about this a little bit from how excited Satan must have been when God became flesh. When the God that he had tried to defeat and tried to usurp and tried to get above, the God that he had tried to be better than, and he was defeated summarily, and a third of the angels were defeated with him, when, when that God chose to become flesh, how excited must Satan have been? Because there's this moment now or I can't touch him, but I can do this. I can get him. And he's ready to devour the child. And the next thing you know, the child is hanging on a cross. And Satan is sure that he's won. But then we read this that the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God in his throne. That it failed and it didn't work. I mean, listen, we, we read Revelations and it gets cloudy, it gets goofy, it gets really jacked up with a lot of these pictures and images and things like this. And we're like, well, why can't we just call him Satan? Why do we have to call him the dragon? We will, it'll be okay. But, but here's what happens. This is, understand this. The dragon is evil, and the dragon wants to rule, and he can't rule because he can't beat God. But then God chooses to become flesh. Christ is God incarnate, God in flesh. That's what Christmas is all about. God now in flesh that Satan now can attack and try to deal with and try to, try to get to. And he does. He thinks to the point where he's crucified on the cross. God is dead on the cross and is buried in the tomb, but then He's snatched away, and he's taken to heaven. 
He rises from the dead. He's, then he, he, he's glorified. He sits with the Father in the throne room. And Satan can no longer make war against God. So what does he do? He makes war against his people. See, this is significant. This is something you have to realize here, that it was at this moment, okay, um, at this moment that Satan, when God is, when Christ is taken to heaven, this is the moment that Satan no longer has access to the throne room. I mean, I need you to see that. that that's, that's a large, big deal that you need to understand there. Here, let's track this together. Okay, so the story continues. Then there was a war in heaven. This is after. Listen, so this is all past for us. Okay, this has all happened already. This is something that if we, if we were to look, this is in the past. Okay, God is taken up to heaven. Okay, uh, I'm sorry, Christ is taken up to heaven. Okay, then there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels and the dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Uh, the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. And there's something significant there because we get the idea that up until that moment, Satan had access to God. That wasn't troublesome for God. Like I would not, if I were the king, I would not let my enemies come talk to me in my throne room. God's not scared, right? He's got no issue. And we know this. We read in the book of Job that that there were times when, when Satan would go present himself to God. And what was his purpose for presenting himself to God? His purpose for presenting himself to God was always to accuse the saints. Whenever he would come to God, he would tell them all about how bad the saints were. Job is a prime example. He he comes in and and, and God says, hey, how awesome is Job? Job is really cool. Look at all the good stuff Job does. Man, he really worships me. He really leads his family and Satan accuses Job. Well, of course he does. He doesn't really mean it. He's just afraid of you. Look at all the stuff you've given. And boy, if you take some of that away, Job is going to turn on you. And so they have this cosmic struggle. Okay, but we see Satan presenting himself, accusing. You can almost get this picture of Satan coming into the throne and going, man, have you seen what Matt Hance did lately? I can't believe that that guy has the audacity to talk about you when he acts the way he does. Like, have you? Come on. But at this point... Michael and the angels battle with Satan and and his angels, and and they are cast down from heaven. They're thrown to the earth, no longer having access to the throne room. Here's the deal. Do you know why that is? It's because now, and only now, after the death and resurrection of Christ, only right now, are we living in a time where there is now no condemnation for the followers of God? See, if we go before the death and resurrection of Jesus, there was always condemnation for God's people. I I don't know if if you really understand how, how great it is that we live now in the time that we do. I mean, we'll, we'll really celebrate that as we get to communion, but this is, this is really a big deal. But, but here's the deal. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, there was always condemnation for God's people. I would sin, in my heart was sin, in my character was sin, my very being was sin, in your heart, in, in, in people. There, this is, we just couldn't. You know why we couldn't? Because we're broken, because we're messy. 
We just couldn't, right? I mean, I know it's like, haha, Matt always says that, but it's, it's true. We were broken, we were messy, and we, we, there, there was always condemnation. And we would come to the altar and we'd make our sacrifice, and the sacrifice would cover our sins, our past sins. And we would walk away and we would still have sin in our heart. We would still be broken people. We would still mess up. And even if I could act right for a day, my character was still flawed because I still am part of this broken world. And so Satan would be able to stand there and he would be able to point at me and he would be able to condemn me and he would be able to say, that guy is rotten to his core. There is nothing redeemable about him. Why do you care about him? Why do you pretend he's something better than he is? He's awful. And God tolerated that. He allowed for the covering of sins. But it was not until the moment with the resurrection of Jesus that Satan is now cast out of heaven for good. That Satan no longer has access to the throne room because now, Christian, there is zero condemnation in you. Because you don't go and make a sacrifice that's temporary and walk away and get stuck in sin again. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no sin in you any longer. It doesn't mean that you'll act right. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect, but it means that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus on you, and he does not see your stupidity. This is a big deal for me. Talk to my wife. Sometimes I'm not so bright. But God doesn't see that. He sees the righteousness of Christ with me. By the way, side note, if you're ever at a church you're ever having a conversation and you're having a, a, uh, this discussion with somebody who wants you to believe that Jesus is not God. Understand very clearly that this thing that we're talking about right here, the condemnation that I am no longer under, even if I walk out of here and I sin something fierce. Now, I will have to pay earthly consequences for that sin. And God is not going to be pleased with my sin. But when he looks at me, do you know what he's still going to see? He is still going to see the righteousness of Christ on me. That just is what it is. But if you're going to tell me, or if you're talking to somebody, or you're at a church that tells you that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is good, he was a fine teacher, he stood for good things, We've been studying in Sunday school some other religions that would tell you that Jesus is an angel, okay? If you're going to find out, you know, if they're going to tell you that Jesus is something other than God, then this moment never happens because it is only because Jesus is God that the resurrection and the righteousness is counted on my behalf. This is a significant moment that Satan is no longer in the throne room. Here's what, I need you to, to, <laughs> here's what I need you to drill down on. Here's what I need you to get. Okay, focus on this. When you sin, Satan is not standing next to God pointing out your sin. That was the way it was. When you sin, Jesus is seated next to God saying, I paid for that. I got that. I took care of that. 
That is the righteousness of Christ that we have. We continue the story here in Revelation, and we get to this. Then I heard a loud voice. So this is, this is all of the things that he's been seeing. He's been seeing the woman. He's been seeing the dragon. He's been seeing the birth. He sees the, the, the child snatched up to heaven, the dragon enraged, chasing after the woman. And here's now we hear the angels. They say, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, no longer. They were defeated him by, listen to this, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, Satan is cast out of heaven, not because Michael all of a sudden got strong enough to do so. Think of Michael less like a soldier on the battlefield and more like a general in the commander's tent that takes the flag plucks it off the board because it's over and the enemy is gone. Jesus is defeated by, I'm sorry, Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's what that says. That Satan, the one who was in heaven, the one who was accusing the saints day and night, the one who was telling God all about how bad and how sinful and how wrong they are because of Jesus, because of the blood of the lamb, what makes him worthy Satan has been cast out. He's been thrown down. See, this is the significant thing that we need to understand has happened. And you know what this can do? This can give you peace. You know why it can give you peace? It can give you peace because this is finished. It can give you peace because this is done. It can give you peace because this is over with. All that's left are the the skirmishes of someone who has lost the battle, who's lost the war. See, we we, we continue um, here, and you just just know this. This is something we've talked about, but Satan's ejection from heaven, the dragons and the demons, they're, they're being cast down. All of that comes from the incarnation That's the coming in flesh, from the life, from the ministry, from the death, and from the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's done. What does Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. Sometimes we get the idea that that what Jesus says on the cross, especially in Easter when we're not thinking ahead to revelate, we're not really planning this all the way through, we get this idea of what Jesus says on the cross when he says it is finished, that what we're really thinking of is we're thinking of his, his life, his earthly life. And that all of the suffering that he went through, all of the, you know, emptying himself of of this idea of being God and becoming human and being cramped and confined in his mother's womb. Think about that, man. This is the God of the universe who spoke it into being. I mean, omnipresent, always present, everywhere, every time. And he says, you know what would be fun? How about nine months in a womb? That's going to be awesome. But he gets there, and he's on the cross, and he says, it's finished. And we get this idea that he's like, yes, okay, I nailed it, right? I did it. But he's not saying it's finished like my life, my earthly mission is over. What he's saying is, it's finished. 
this whole cosmic thing, this battle for souls, all of it is over at this point. The dragon tried to have his way. I was snatched to heaven, the right hand of the Father. I have conquered. Righteousness is now given to those that want it. For those that choose to follow, it's over. This is, again, this is why I will argue vehemently for the idea of, of this, um, this idea of eternal security. Because when Christ's righteousness is poured out on you, Satan has no argument against you. Because the righteousness of Christ is on you. This is, this is a big deal. This is a big moment. And then it ends this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Bad news, Christians. This is now. So here's what's happened. Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb. By the testimony of Jesus, Satan is defeated. He has been cast out of heaven. He is no longer there to accuse you, to accuse your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us that are Christians are now um, impugned with the righteousness of Christ. Satan is no longer there. He's down here, and he knows that his time is short. He is a defeated enemy. He knows that it is finished. And so now his goal is to make war against God's people. This is where we're at in human history. Well, skip ahead. I'll, I'll let you say there's some stuff there. I'll let you see this. Okay, now this is... You're going to have really smart people who you should appreciate that, that are going to say, Matt, your timeline is crazy. It's okay, right? I'm not going to tell... People are going to argue about the rapture. When does the rapture happen? Why does the rapture... You know, what is it? People will talk about, is it a literal millennial kingdom or is that a metaphorical millennial kingdom in the book of Revelations? You know what? We're not going to get hung up on any of that. What you get here is kind of what I think, okay? There are smarter people than me out there that would disagree with me. There are smarter people than me that would agree with me. We can have that conversation later. But this is what's to come. We are in the present church age. At some point in time, if I'm right, the rapture of the church will happen, and uh, um, that will usher in years of tribulation, seven years of tribulation. When you read the book of Daniel, you'll read about seven sets of seven. That's um, seven years. Okay, so we have this last set of seven years that's been reserved, that God has reserved for the end. We call that in Scripture, we call that the tribulation. Okay, remember we talked last week about how Jesus takes the scroll, the title deed to the earth, and he opens it? That starts the tribulation. That starts God's ultimate judgment of evil, okay? That's what happens there. And, and there's a time, um, it's the beginning of sorrows, but, but here's what happens. Um, you remember that 1,260 days we read about? Okay, that's the second half of the tribulation, and that's how this ends, right? Let me read this for you here, this very last thing that happens in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. At the end of the tribulation, here's how it all goes, Okay? Well, I guess, well, let's go back to 12. Let me show you this here real quick. Oh, what happened? None of that is right. I mean, I like the American flag, but it wasn't in my presentation. 
That's the one right here. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water. Oh, I went one. Here you go. When the dragon realized that he'd been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman. Okay, this is like he's angry now. He's been kicked out of heaven. He pursues the woman. Okay, she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected by the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Earlier we read um, three separate times, this would be the fourth, we read in the book of Revelations about three and a half years. Okay, we read that um, 1,260 days is the amount of time that God's people will be protected, time, times, and a half a time. We read that three and a half years is the amount of time that the Antichrist, that's Satan incarnate, not incarnate, but that's Satan um, um, possessing the Antichrist, that we, we read that three and a half years is the amount of time that Satan will be let free to make war against the earth, against God's people, preparing them for the fullness of God's judgment that we'll read about in a second. And then another time we read um, that 1,260 days, three and a half years, actually I think it's written in months, that's in chapter 11, we read about this idea that the holy city Jerusalem will be besieged for that amount of time, okay, that it will be persecuted and besieged for that three and a half years. And so we get here, and that's what we're reading about there, that three and a half years, this great tribulation that's happening. And this is how it ends in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. This is Jesus. This is the return. This is the end. We would know this um, in, in Revelations as the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? We would know this as end-time stuff. We would know this as the final battle. This is what's to come. This is, frankly, guys, this is what we're waiting for. This moment where everything happens and justice is served and evil is cast out and everything is right. That's why we love TV shows and movies where the good guys win. Because we are wired for this. We are waiting for this, for everything to be right. And his robe is dipped in blood. But guess what? It's his own blood. Sometimes we read that and we're like, oh, Jesus is, you know, he's, he's, he's killing so many people and he's slaughtering so many people that his, his robe is dipped in blood. No, his robe is dipped in his own blood because it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that, that Satan has been defeated once and for all. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest pure white lemons followed him on white horses and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written these words, his title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Then in verse 19, then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And then it goes straight to this. I love this, right? So here's what we've got. We've got God on his horse, his robe dripped in blood. His name is the word of God. He's got another name that no one but him knows. And on his thigh, it's written, King of kings, Lord of lords, and all of heaven's armies on white horses and pure linen riding behind him. Okay, this is cheesy, but it looks kind of like this. That's the best picture I could find. I don't think it'll really look like that. But that's what you've got. And you've got Satan, you've got the Antichrist, you've got the dragon, and you've got all of his demons, and you've got, you've got all of the ten kingdoms of the world that come to battle against God. You've got all of this happening, 
And that's the stage that's set, and then we skip right to this. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Um, <laughs> both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their enemy army, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the horse, and the vultures gorged themselves on all the dead bodies. I know it's gross, but here's what happens. So we've got this grand buildup, right? We've got all the riders, the horse, this big army, and then here we've got Satan and the dragon and, and this big army, and they're all coming together, coming together, and then we go, oh, and then it's over. And it's over. Then it's done. You know why it's over and done? Because it's been over and done for a long time. Because it's been finished for a long time. This is the most anticlimactic thing in the world. If you were watching this in a movie, you would walk out and want your money back. You'd be like, this is the thing we were waiting for, this grand moment right here. And then it's just done. There's no battle. The battle's been over. The battle belongs to the Lord. It has been over for a long time. The battle is future, but the war is just over with. We can see this less as a military conflict and more as the final execution of justice and judgment on the world. It's over. There is nothing left to win. And as we go to communion, I ask the elders to come forward. As we go to communion, guys, what I want you to know is that's exactly what we're celebrating here. We practice open communion, so you do not need to be a member of our church to take communion with us, but we do ask that you be a Christian. This is, this is something that is, that is reserved for those that are followers of Christ. Um, on top of that, we read in Scripture that you should examine yourself to see if you're in a position to take communion. Um, you know, Jesus tells us time and time again, look, you know what, if you're coming to the altar and you've got a sacrifice and you realize that your heart's not right for whatever reason, you leave your sacrifice, you go take care of your heart, you come back and you make your sacrifice. Paul says in the book of Corinthians that um, he goes so far as to suggest that some people have died because they have taken communion unworthily, Okay. So I'm going to ask you to examine yourself, but, and this is a great time. It doesn't mean, oh, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, maybe there's, you know what, just, it's time to confess. It's time to make it right. Okay? When, when God looks at you, he sees your righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see your sin. So confess, and it's good. Right? But this is what we're celebrating here. Um, as Christians, when we participate in this, we are celebrating the fact that it is over. We break the bread. This is what happens. Is, and, and, you know, we, we do this the way that, that Jesus did, the way Paul instructed the church. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body. It's about to be broken. Do this in remembrance. This is the sacrifice. Remember how Satan is defeated? It's by the blood of the lamb because he is the best, final, worthy sacrifice. And his body is broken. That's a picture of that sacrifice. And then he poured the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. It's a sign of the new covenant, the new arrangement that when God looks at you, he sees your righteousness. This is good news for you. Listen, I want to encourage you. Those of you, those of you that sometimes wonder if you're good enough, And I know there's some of you here that wonder this. You wonder, you know, why, why would God forgive me? 
Why does God want me? Or some of you, you think about sin in your life and you think, how can God overlook that? Or how can God want me in spite of that? And I'm not trying to make light of your sin. You need to deal with your sin. You need to cut it out of your life. But what I'm, what I'm saying here is that if you worry that God won't want you because of your sin, I want to remind you what God sees when he looks at you. God sees the righteousness of Christ on you. And Satan is no longer in his ear whispering to him, look what he did. Look what she did. How dare they call themselves Christians? Sometimes that's what we wonder, right? That's what Satan whispers to us. When we, when we sin, right, Satan whispers in our ear, how dare you? You're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a phony. But Christ is sitting next to the Father and he's saying to him, I paid for that. Hey, God, you remember that time I hung on a cross? I covered that. Hey, hey, do you remember that time when, when I raised from the dead? Hey, God, that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, I paid for that. Listen, there is nothing in your life that Christ hasn't covered when you are his. That's what we celebrate with communion. That's what we do as we come and we take the bread and we drink the cup is, is we, are, we are reveling in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we do this with some frequency. Because we're remembering. So would you let me pray for you and then we will take communion and uh, we will then um, pray and depart. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that this is all finished. That yes, it's future, but it's all done and over with. We thank you for the fact that, that Jesus has secured our freedom and the victory over evil by the blood and sacrifice of the cross. And so, Father, as we come to communion today, as we eat the bread and, and, and we reflect on, on Christ's body broken for us and we drink the cup and we, and we reflect on the blood that was poured out as a sign of the new covenant, Father, we just, we thank you for that. And, and God, we ask that as we do that, that you secure in our hearts this peace that looks forward and revels in what's already been accomplished, even if it hasn't come to pass yet. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen.